Today, I'm delighted to be hosting the first Matter of Form team-hosted episode of What The Lux. I'm Juliette Watkin-Reese, Head of Marketing here at Matter of Form. Whilst normally behind the scenes and keenly listening in on recordings, it feels good to be out in the open in front of the mic. Especially as the guest we have is one of the most exciting yet. So without further ado, introducing Perla Bloom, Connections and Communications Planning Lead on The Sims at Electronic Arts. Previously Global Strategy Lead, also at EA Games, working on Battlefield as well as more indie titles like Wild Hearts. Perla's role is multifaceted, from keeping the core audience and community engaged, surprised and delighted with artfully planned experiences to more technical user experience design helping to translate concepts to different audiences on different platforms. Perla first caught my eye on a panel at a retail conference, and since becoming connected, it is very clear she is one of the leading voices of the gaming sector, co-hosting her own podcast, Think Twice, and taking part in endless speaking opportunities to find stereotypes of the gaming industry. Whilst Perla's role and career at EA Games is a compelling one, which I could quiz her on for hours, today we're going to focus on gaming as a channel, and what a powerful one it can be for brands, and in particular, the luxury sector. So Perla, welcome to What The Lux, we're so delighted to have you. Hello, I'm so happy to be here, thank you for the intro. So let's dive further into the wonderful world of gaming, which I imagine for most of our listeners is quite a mystery. Despite it being the world's largest media category, far larger than TV, it's valued at $336 billion. Can you give us an insight into kind of what gaming is and what the most popular type of games are um so there are all sorts of games you've got your sports games you've got life simulation like what um the sims is you've got rpg role-playing games shooter games you have the broader category of action adventure um which can be you know very action orientated or includes a storyline that you have to complete you know it's not all you don't have to be skilled at every game that you play you can just be moving along the story but interacting but it can also test your reflexes it can include a puzzle or problem solving you know there really is like a game for everyone I feel like the games that do really well build functionally on from a previous game in the category or a competitor in some way and then my job is to ensure that that is culturally relevant to what players will want to play today you know maybe because of the themes within the game or you know their motivations to play outside of just wanting to solve a puzzle like how is that game going to make them feel? Why do they want to jump into that game? You kind of mentioned a few of the motivations there. What is the key motivation? I mean, sure. Like, I think the best way to illustrate this is probably using an example that I did for Wild Hearts, which is a Japanese hunter game. Um, so it's a Japanese hunter game, but it forms a part of the larger action adventure category. And that was a really interesting one. So it was a game where the way it built on from previous games in the category, because it was a brand new franchise, was that it had um, tech that had never been seen by the hunter audience before. Um, and it had so many more kind of intricate ways to put together that tech as well. It was really about building that tech and being able, being able to find a defense that will hunt the the monster hunt the beast so that it was really about making that relevant to not only a hunter audience but a wider audience so um the the big idea was tame a world gone wild because it was in this beautiful tranquil japanese village you know that was a it was clearly beautiful and the environment was just stunning it was based on this insight that um yes nature can be unpredictable because the beasts were very obviously um, entrenched in nature. So you had this kind of 
duality of nature. You had the beauty of the environment and then you had the ferocity of the monsters, of the beasts. So it's based on this insight that technology makes us feel a temporary control over nature's unpredictability. So it was really about, you know, people want to jump in because they are going to be able to experience a sense of control over the ferocity of nature so that they can enjoy the beauty of nature. So it's about sticking really true to the product and what the themes are within a game. But it's about understanding what people's relationship with those themes are out in the real world and kind of meshing that together in order to get people that are unfamiliar with this game because it was brand new and um, a new franchise uh, to come and, you know, jump in. And you talk of kind of, you know, these mystical, fantastical worlds. Uh, is gaming still very much an escapism um, or is it becoming increasingly kind of imitating real life like what, what do you reckon that's a really yeah it's a really interesting question i think it differs it depends on your motivation to play like ultimately you know why do you go and sit and watch a, a series on you know netflix or whatever or w- watch a film you know what mood are you in what kind of story do you want to engage with at that given moment have you had a hard day do you want to escape from reality or do you want to lean into the themes that perhaps you've lived maybe you've gone through a really hard time and you really want to engage in content that mimics uh, the themes of that hard time so that you can work through it like there are a lot of different reasons that we engage with entertainment and I think it just varies on the time on the you know you know we we say like what are the motivations for people to play but I think that even varies in, in in terms of where they're at you know, people aren't just playing one game for hours and well, they are, but they're not just playing one game. They're, they're usually playing like a handful of games. And once they know what they like within that category, they might pick other games. So we're constantly trying to battle for the attention span, but also the free time that people have to play. Because uh, as we know, you know, I, we'd love to sit and watch uh, TV or play games all day long, but some of us have to make a living. So we're trying to kind of battle with them. Um, that kind of finite time that people have to actually engage in media and in that, you know, in that spare time. Referring to TV again, you quite rightly pointed out to me, referring to them as gamers as kind of almost say, always saying, you know, the TV audience. And actually, it's better to refer to them as an audience because actually the spectrum is just as diverse as, say, what you'd expect for a TV audience. I don't mind people using gamers. I'm not like against the word or anything, but we don't tend to use gamers in um, any framework or any work at EA. We refer to them as players or more so as fans now, now that we're even trying to build these kind of connected experiences within our franchises. So yeah, as you said, you know, saying gamers to me is like saying, you know, TV watcher or streaming consumer or music listener. For me, it's just like another way of engaging with content. And it's something, as we know, 2.3 billion people do now. Um, You've got Gen Z saying, over half of Gen Z are saying that they're as comfortable in virtual spaces as, as they are in real life, which is huge. So like in essence, everyone plays, but the way that people play can vary a lot. Um, and it's important, I think, um, for brands to understand that it, it's tempting to shy away from gaming because it can be seen as quite niche. But as we know, and as we can see, the demographics you know, of gamers might surprise you. So it's less about, you know, are my audience gamers, but rather which themes of which game or virtual space suits my brand story the most and what are my audience playing? You know, most gamers play to solve a puzzle of some kind or they want to flex skills or they're there to completely disassociate from their lives, as we mentioned, escape for a little while. But knowing their motivation to play and what elements and themes are brought out for them when they are playing is how you're going to turn some demographics in, into real insight that can form the basis for a strategy. 
Um, like it's really important to think of gaming as a type of medium versus like a partnership. It's quite simplistic to think of it as a partnership in my eyes. I think thinking of it as a virtual space is how you're going to be able to understand how to put your brand into gaming, let's say. So not a different type of audience, it's a different channel. Yeah, it's think of it as a virtual experience, a virtual brand experience that you're trying to build. You know, I always say that it's better to try and build it in an existing environment because the audience is there and because the culture is there, the behavior is there. Definitely. And and let's just clarify for our listeners, because we're speaking, we're speaking about virtual spaces. What makes a game a game versus the metaverse? Or are they interchangeable? Do you know what? I think we hear metaverse and gaming used interchangeably today um, because in a lot of ways and with the technology that we currently have today, it can be interchangeable because the full extent of what the metaverse will eventually be doesn't exist yet and we don't actually know what it's going to be. So gaming environments and the lessons we have learned in building them would inevitably formulate, you know, the foundations for the metaverse. It's the main example we have um, that's tangible. But for me, I wouldn't say it's the metaverse. Like, Big tech evolution needs to happen for the metaverse to be what we think it's going to be. I think as AI, AR, VR form this kind of mixed reality and the distinction between real life and virtual life will be more and more integrated as well as, you know, working within one ecosystem, i.e., you know, there'll be no ruling force or or a ruling company and we're working from a decentralized platform that will be closer to what we mean by the metaverse. You know, for me, I think that will be a huge distinction from what we have today because, you know, there'll be no, there'll be less doom scrolling. Um, there'll be a more of a thing of the past because virtual spaces will have fully integrated into our lives in a way that works for each of us and how we live our lives. So, in short, for now, like it's fine to interchange those terms because of the technology and the policies that we have today. But the reason I don't do it is because I feel that we are minimizing the potential for what the metaverse would eventually be in 10 or more years if we interchange them. So we recognize a lot of misconceptions about the gaming world. Um, What does the audience landscape actually look like? I think it's important to to understand because I think people think of things like mobile gaming and they don't think that makes you a real gamer, but it, it really does. Like if you're engaging in any virtual space, it doesn't matter where you're doing it or how or if you're doing it on a train, or you're feeding a child whilst you're doing it, or, you know, you are gaming. I think that's what's so dangerous about the stereotype of, you know, that boy in his mum's basement streaming down a headset. Also, the demographics of gamers might surprise you. You know, 65% of Americans play games at least one hour a week, uh, which is pretty mad. It's quite a lot. And then 53% are male and 46% are female, which is nearly an even split. And I think that that's a huge misconception. The pre-misconception is that, you know, there are more male gamers than women. And yes, there are slightly, but it's really not as big a split as you'd think. Why is it important for brands to learn about gaming, players and the channel? We've spoken about this a little bit, but gaming is just not this niche thing. It's as common as, you know, watching a streaming series, going to see a film, listening to music, that kind of thing. And this is why I think it's so important not only for brands to understand the gaming space, but actually thinking about it as another medium, like you would a a long form bit of content or short form, that kind of thing. It's just another way of uh, bringing out a brand experience. It's a more interactive way of doing that. 
it's really good to think of gaming environments as an additional audience opportunity where more often than not, there will be audience crossover and you'll be able to communicate your brand message in a way that they are actually engaging with content. So it's less about, you know, are my audience gamers, but rather which themes of which game, or as I like to call it, a virtual space suits my brand story the most and what are my audience playing? And I imagine if you can create like an in-person experience, uh, an immersive in-person experience, you can do that in the gaming world too. What would you do in person versus what would you create in a virtual space? Exactly. So you know how people or brands will spend time understanding what mindset a, a person will be on a particular platform at a particular event. Say you're showing up at a music festival in the summer. You'll spend so much time understanding what their behaviors are, where they'll be, where they're going to spend the most of their time. And it, it works exactly the same in a virtual space. You you know, there, there are certain attitudes, events that happen too that you can jump on. The more authentic you are to the behaviors that they organically display in that environment versus just kind of trying to shoehorn an experience in there that suits your brand and not really the environment, the better and more successful it's going to be and more engaging it's going to be. So how can brands utilize gaming as a channel to connect with customers? Can you give us some great examples and use cases from brands? Uh, fashion brands, especially you know Gucci, Balenciaga, are using gaming environments like Roblox to create big brand experiences, and even using NFT crypto technology, you know, to to overlay it even further. They're getting more into the realm of experiences now versus just having skins show up in the game. I think before putting skins in the game was quite innovative. Even to add a set of skins just to show up was quite a cool thing to do but now I think players don't really want to just see brands in the game unless it adds to their experience and they don't want it to pause their gameplay or break the immersion of their world it's kind of like outside of gaming with marketing we need brands to really show us how they are relevant in our lives and we, we need brands to kind of create these experiences for us or at the very least imitate entertainment that we would organically watch or consume so that we don't scroll past we're kind of tired of traditional ads it's the same kind of thing so I think music as an industry has done a really good job at creating experiences and using partnerships to get awareness in a way that lets players enjoy the music in the context of the virtual space. You know, music cues can really bring you back to reality, which is sometimes not what players want when they're playing. So it's really interesting to see how some brands have or some some artists have adapted their experience to suit that environment. Like on The Sims, we've got got artists that we take to re-record their songs in Simlish, which is the um, language that they speak on The Sims. I saw somewhere that Seth Rogen's podcast is available as like a radio channel on GTA, I think. So they can actually select it and listen to it as they're driving along in the game. Really subtle, but just giving the player, you know, the power to kind of discern what they want to listen to whilst playing. And Do you know what's really powerful about that as well? It actually adds to the immersion of that environment. It's something that you would imagine that you would listen to in an, a, you know, in a in a place like GTA in that world that they've built. You know, it's not just you don't turn on the radio and just hear some random ad. It's something that will really add to it. And I think that's like a really important thing to do. I think on Fortnite as well, and um, what they've done with these fully fledged concerts, so actually recreating an experience um, is so powerful because you have to actually attend the concert. It's not something you can keep replaying. It's not a video. It's an actual experience. Um, and it was a really beautiful experience. And when you see what's going on with ticket sales and people not being able to see the artists that they love, 
Um, it makes it so much more accessible um, for you to see your favorite artists or some of your friends online. So I think that's a really powerful thing. And then um, a couple of years ago, Stormzy used Watch Dogs um, as a platform to record his song, uh, Rainfall. And then like part of the partnership was that he actually appeared in the game as a future version of himself because the game is in the future. Um, and that was a really, really powerful way of adding to the world and then using the environment as a medium to communicate the message and reaching new audiences, which I thought was really, really cool. So if you are a brand and you want to break into the gaming space, what's been a great example that could kind of inspire you and get you thinking and brainstorming ideas? So um, my favorite recent example, because I think I talk about the um, Wendy's Fortnite example too much. And like, it's a classic. I really implore you to kind of all look it up because they did it for free um, and it wasn't an official partnership so it was just like purely understanding the environment but the more, more recent version that I've seen is Heinz so they created their own challenge that aligns with the rule of the game so that was in Animal Crossing and um, so they added to people's experience uh, based on how they like to interact with the game so in Animal Crossing if you haven't played before you basically buy turnips and um, you have to sell those turnips before a certain amount of time because otherwise they'll spoil and they'll go rotten, which is really, really annoying. And Heinz had a, a message that they, they wanted to align their, um, I think it was their mayonnaise brand with feeding the homeless and giving to homeless shelters. And, and, and I think that was their kind of brand purpose at the time. So with every turnip that spoiled, they would donate money to a, a homeless shelter to, to feed homeless people. So it's really leaning into how people are playing already, but then it's also giving them that extra reward out of game uh, to really add to that um, kind of dopamine hit when they're playing. And I think with every brand that does well in a um, virtual environment, a virtual space, and what they have in common is they seem to completely understand the environment that they're inhabiting. They integrate their experiences in a way that adds to the gameplay, adds to the immersion, adds to the experience, and they do not for one moment interrupt that gameplay. It's more household brands that aren't entertainment brands too understand and, and always play from a, a kind of space of people absolutely don't want my brand to interrupt their experience. I think that's what's so great about it. So it's even more of a pressure for them to integrate themselves within the space in an authentic way because otherwise it's going to actually make people think negatively about the brand. If they're that's sitting there enjoying a bit of entertainment, like imagine you're watching a film and you just see, you know, we, we kind of do it already when I see very obvious product placement. And I think now that I'm in advertising, I see it even more. It really annoys me. I'm like, could you not have integrated that into a, a, a fun way? Like I love the Birkenstock's um, appearance in the Barbie movie. I thought that was really clever. Can you break down inner purchases and the element of customization and personalization that people can have like you've mentioned skins so that's when you have an avatar and you purchase say an accessory or an outfit from the likes of Balenciaga or you know those brands are involved it really can vary like um it can be as simple as choosing an outfit that you want to wear whilst you're playing that maybe doesn't really have that much to do with the game but then that means a little bit more in a life simulation like the sims because fashion is one of the biggest um, kind of interests within that game so it means a little bit more and it integrates more with the game itself um, we have what we call sandbox games where um, you can pretty much customize and do whatever you want within the experience um, so that's really about 
using the levers that are available to you to create experiences that are brand new or that are unattainable with just like the first you know somebody that plays very casually like there are a few moments within battlefield for example um like i think it was battlefield 4 where there was a skyscraper that would collapse if you did a certain kind of bit of battle and it was something that then streamers picked up on and they started talking about it like this is how you unlock this skyscraper experience and, and things like that so it's really about letting those players like that's an that's my job in marketing, not to over explain things like that. A lot of, of gaming is about, you know, discovery. That's the whole point. So there will always be these certain, you know, maybe it's a boss level, maybe it's, you know, something that uh, we want them to discover on their own. And that's something we won't kind of mention in marketing. But yeah, like to answer your question, the whole point really is to unlock and to customize and to make that game your own from the base game and the levers that we provide in in the in the product itself and it varies game to game and it varies um you know against the 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 motivations to play too as part of this podcast we like to challenge traditional notions of luxury what does luxury mean to you so for me luxury is the thing that you do outside of necessity it's those experiences that you choose that add that kind of additional comfort it doesn't always have to be a splash of cash and it certainly isn't for me about going beyond your means and bankrupting yourself but it's those little extras that make life more pleasant and those little acts of self-love you've been convinced by a brand that the quality of you know this experience or product is worth it to you to go beyond the standard for me um luxury is not more it's better yeah definitely so how is luxury applicable to the gaming industry um through the games or the technology it's used i mean okay it does still happen in some games but common practice nowadays is that you should never be able to as we call it pay to win and the tech of the game should never literally give you a new experience just by handing money over because that's not fun either it's so much better to play to earn and to experience it's just that the experience might be more entertaining or in the case of sims for example you'll be able to create to the depths of your passion points and therefore play a, ha- a hand in evolving the gameplay further for yourself. So, you know, paying for little extras within the games might give you more levers to pull to do that, but you'd still have fun without it. It's giving yourself more ways to make the most out of the base game in a way that works for you. Again, reflective of your point about how it's not more, it's just better. Exactly. And I think what's um, different about gaming, though, it's like you can't just pay directly for an experience. Like, paying for a set of skins or paying for a pack in the sims isn't necessarily going to just automatically make it better it's the way that it evolves the potential of the gameplay so it's really what you make of it let's talk about vr what do you think of headsets do you think they'll see a phoenix from the ashes kind of rise with the release of the apple vision pro I think the um, Apple Vision Pro announce was really, really exciting. Like, obviously, there was a lot that was not that exciting. Like, they still haven't fully got a good use case for headsets, have they? But we saw this with the Apple Watch. The first iteration of the Apple Watch really wasn't very successful because there was no use case for it. But then as society and culture evolved and we got more into fitness and tracking our, you know, fitness insights, it kind of created, it lent, it, lent itself a use case. And I think the same thing happened with VR headsets I think with that announced particularly I know people were trashing it a lot because they were saying you know 
why would you spend three grand on this? Why would the average person just pay for that? And I think that's true. But I don't think that Apple necessarily wanted big, big sales from that announce. It was more a proof of concept because we've all been, you know, muttering and whispering who's going to bring out this VR, AR technology, especially when we were talking a lot about the metaverse. It's such a power play for them to say, not only, um, you know, is the potential of this technology happening, but we actually have it and we are hitting the ground running and we are leaders in this space. In 10 years, where do you see the gaming industry and how do you see the audience developing? So in terms of the industry outlook for the next decade, our leadership team typically states that EA is at the intersection of media and, and entertainment. And, you know, as I mentioned before, we see this kind of culturally hybridizing world in, in really meaningful ways. Like for us at EA that we had the, um, the EAFC and Ted Lasso um, converging. And last week I saw Champion Clothing is now going to be available on Fall Guys, which is a game I really, really love. And I saw, for example, um, on Co- in COD, The Boys, which is a TV show, not only is appearing as skins, but also power-ups and they're free to play Warzone. So, yeah, um, you know, a power-up that you would see on that TV program is actually going to be available as an experience in the game itself. So... Knowing this and seeing this and seeing all these bits of integration, I'd personally say that in 10 years, games won't be as much of a separate entity or type of entertainment as it is now and will instead be a piece of the entertainment pie where franchises will be just well-rounded entities. They'll have gamified experiences within their long-form visual audio pieces, as well as an expectation of a solely game experience, especially as web3 developers we're also going to see you know co-creation and all of that and all that it encompasses i think as you mentioned before we're already seeing a kind of interest in this kind of content you know with netflix's bandersnatch where they've kind of implemented a gamification in the streaming um experience but i actually think that the next level of this will be um, primarily on gaming platforms as we have seen um, more success of other entertainment entities on that you know like music artists like tv programs i think that will form the basis of this kind of one franchise entity with a lot of different entertainment entry points um in the future amazing amazing that's a lot to look forward to so we always ask the same four questions to round up the episode what most irritates you about your industry Yeah, so for me, it would be the lack of diversity and the perceived exclusivity of gaming. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I never grew up thinking gaming was for me and was only intro to it by a friend who had an older brother. So I would like to see more accessibility within games. You know, we're doing quite a lot to make them literally accessible to people that are, maybe you know, hard of hearing and, you know, have seeing problems and things like that. We're trying to remove toxicity within games as well, which I think is a huge barrier to its accessibility. We have something called the ping system, which means that people can communicate without speaking to each other through microphones um, and they can just ping. And we've actually made that patent free. So any gaming company can use it for any of their games and it it has been taken up by other games. So little things like that make the gaming experience um, more accessible. You know, we've got more people. I I would like to see more people of more diverse backgrounds coming in and working at these gaming companies, both product side and marketing, because it will mean that not only is the actual experience of gaming more accessible, but we're giving more people more entry points to actually come into gaming 
you know, I just would like to see a world where the gaming space, I mean, I think we're already beating this misconception, the stereotype that it's a very, um, you know, niche thing. But I would still like to see more faces within gaming because in America, I think it's something like 72% of all gamers are white. And I would like to see that change. What most concerns you about the world we are leaving the next generation? I think we might be suffering from a bit of death of a thousand frameworks and um, LinkedIn culture is making that problem even worse. I think everybody feels like they need to have a hot take to stay relevant and stay on top of the industry. And I say that coming onto a podcast. I know I, I do appreciate the irony, but it kind of makes free thinking harder to do because there is more process and more, um, you know, already lined up ways of doing it. And I'm more of a kind of free thinker. I quite like coming to a problem ad hoc, not thinking or being arrogant enough to think there's only one way to, um, you know, tackle a problem. Obviously, there are ways that work better than others. If you had to give up your job tomorrow, what would you do? Let's assume that I still have to, you know, work. Um, I think I'd still be giving an opinion about tech innovation and brand work, even if nobody wanted to listen to me in the Bahamas. And um, I'm really passionate about how brands can engage with people um, and make a real difference either in, in culture, legislation, in mindset. And I also love the way that it blends creativity and data. I don't think there's another industry that does that in the same way. And um, so I do still think in some way I would lead into the, the reasons why I love marketing so much, even if I couldn't do marketing. So how technology can help to foster better human connection. Exactly. I need culture, creativity and data in my life and I need it, need to use it to solve problems I care about. What is the most exciting thing for you in the next five years? I would love to see what happens to the kind of agency in-house space. I love how more and more people are jumping from agency to in-house back to agency again. And I think it was quite a um, siloed thing. I think People in-house had like a, a um, opinion about people in agencies and vice versa. And I think now because we've got similar people on both sides, I think that could breed really exciting work. And collaborations. Yeah, collaborations. People in agency side know what in-house is like, so they understand the bigger business perspective. And then vice versa, you know, people who are in-house understand, um, you know, the importance of creativity. They don't get bogged down by the politics and, and all of the rest of it when they're not in an environment that's just marketing. So I think that will make creative work more exciting, hopefully. Well, Paula, thank you so much for joining us today. There's a lot of potential in the gaming world and I just hope more people get into it. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again and have a lovely day. Thanks so much for listening. This has been What The Lux. You can find us on socials at MatchReform and drop us any questions or comments on Twitter using the hashtag WhatTheLux. Or if you're a luxury brand looking for strategy and design that goes beyond the banal, get in touch via hello at matchreform.com and chat to one of our consultants.